Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, today we get to start the final chapter of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. And it starts with what has been called by many preachers the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. Have I got your attention? All right. The most misunderstood verse in the Bible. Matthew 7.1 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Lord, help me. As I talk about this today, let it be your words and not mine. Help people's ears. Let people hear, God, what needs to be heard. We want the truth, God, and nothing less than the absolute truth that you have for us in this verse. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk about this one verse before we go any further. First of all, we have to understand that context is important, especially in the Bible. And um, I, I want to make a statement just real quick, um, and we'll see if, uh, how, how smart you guys are. The Bible says there is no God. True, raise your hand, or false, don't raise your hand. The Bible says there is no God. If that's true, raise your hand. There's a few of you that got that up there. A bunch. How many say no, raise your hand? The Bible doesn't say there is no God. How many hate voting games? <laughs> All right, lots of people. I mean, if I was to ask most of you that question, does the Bible say, or the Bible says, there is no God, and you said, that's false, because the Bible wouldn't say that. You would be wrong because it does say that. It says in Psalms 53.1 that the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Ooh, yeah. That's what context is all about. It's important when you read scripture. Because we know that the Bible doesn't say there is no God. It says the fool in his heart says there is no God. But Literally, it does say that. If you take out one little section and say that's what it says. He's mad about it, whoever that is, so that's okay. We love you. We know how it is. How many feel like that most of the time? All right, I, I know I do. We've been plowing through these chapters containing the Sermon on the Mount and should have a pretty good idea of what the context is here. He's talking to Jews He's introducing them to the idea of a new covenant, which would be uh, completed upon his death and resurrection. He has made it clear that everyone is guilty of not being able to live up to the law, and he has specifically singled out the most religious people in the crowd, the Pharisees. He's done that over and over throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, even these guys and their righteousness isn't enough. The Pharisees were the most righteous people in the crowd. They lived according to the law. They prided themselves at, as being so good and so wonderful and so amazing that they could actually live out the letter of the law, and Jesus comes in and just blows it all up. His whole sermon is it's for all God's people, this Sermon on the Mount, but it's so pointed at these guys, these religious, and again, specifically the scribes and Pharisees who are the religious leaders. Remember what he said in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm telling you, when he said that during the Sermon on the Mount, I guarantee you there was a hush that fell over the crowd, just like we had a minute ago. That, ooh. 
It had to have, because they revered the Pharisees for their ability, the people did. And the Pharisees loved that reverence. I am a Pharisee. I am wonderful. I am spiritually superior to every one of you. That was basically the attitude. So Jesus says, again, in Matthew 5.20, your righteousness has to be way far past. It has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Ooh, what is he saying? And this is to say even the most holy within their culture weren't holy enough. The very topics that we've gone over thus far are all basically subjects that flew in the face of these scribes and Pharisees because they followed only the letter of the law and didn't live according to the spirit of intent behind the law. Example, don't murder. Most people could live their whole lives without murdering anybody, and that's great. That's the letter of the law. But Jesus taught that the spirit of intent behind that law was don't even go to the place of being angry towards another person. And that hits everybody, doesn't it? Example two, don't commit adultery. Okay, I can live my life and not cheat on my wife physically with another woman. But Jesus said, don't even look at someone with lust in your heart. Much more difficult to follow the spirit of the law than to follow the letter of the law. And these Pharisees and religious leaders were so arrogant at their ability to live out the letter of the law. And then Jesus comes in and again he starts talking and he blows up the religiosity. They couldn't live up to the spirit of the law any more than the rest of us. He put everybody in the same playing field. I love that. Because even in the church sometimes today, we revere the pastor and I, I just said a minute ago, I, I sure appreciate being appreciated. But I also want you to know something. If I can't clean the toilet around here because I'm too good for that, then that's an issue. We're all the same. We just have different callings, right? This happens to be my calling. I don't know what your calling is specifically. But we, we're all the same. We just have to do what God's called us to do. No one's better than anyone else. So when you look at this scripture in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged, and you look at the context of who Jesus was speaking to, it was pointed right at the Pharisees, those pious, pompous, religious leaders that truly thought they were better than everyone else. Those guys who prayed on the street corners with many spiritual-sounding words. Those guys who loved looking uh, weak and tired whenever they fasted so that people would know how spiritual they were. Oh, look at my long face. I'm fasting. I'm weak. Those who announced how much they gave to others when they were in need. And so the meaning of don't judge lest ye be judged, it, it starts to come into much more of a focus when you think about that context and who he was speaking to. The common misunderstanding regarding the scripture to don't judge or, or you'll be judged, the common misunderstanding of that scripture is to believe Jesus was saying, and hear me, church, that we are never to judge anything or anyone. That's what people tend to believe when they read that scripture. That's what people tend to throw up in my face over and over and over and over again. Don't judge. You can't judge. How many have ever experienced that? You try to live your Christianity out, and they're like, don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. I wanna, I wanna get to the bottom of the scripture because honestly, 
If that's true, if he said don't judge, and that means never judge anything or anybody or their behavior, honestly, the Bible contradicts itself then, if you believe that. Let me, let me show you why. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he instructs Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, and he says, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. My question is, how do you rebuke someone for something they have done or not done without judging what they have done to be right or wrong? Judgments must happen, and we are told in Scripture to make judgments about lots of things and about people's behavior. Yeah, we're not supposed to judge someone's salvation. I get that. But judgments have to be made all the time. Let me give you another example. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We know that verse all too well. And what does it mean? It means that you, come, you become like the people you hang around, right? That's what it means. Well, let me say something. How can you live that verse without judging people that they have bad character? Jesus said, don't judge. You can't say my character's bad. The Bible also says I have to make a judgment call and make sure I'm not hanging around those people that have bad character. How do you know they have bad character? You make a judgment call. I mean, it's tough, right? This scripture is very difficult because we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So let's just keep diving in deeper, right? When we see Jesus say, Don't not, or do not judge others and you will not be judged, is it a contradiction of what the rest of the Bible is saying? And no, it's, it's not, and this is why. We've already established the contextual truth that the words, do not judge others and you will not be judged, are pointed right at the Pharisees and anyone else that thought or thinks of themselves as, high, as more highly than they ought to. He was speaking and calling out those with a particular sin issue the sin of pride and spiritual arrogance. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the, the sin of spiritual arrogance is not something that was only back then. The church reeks of it today. I, I'm, not, I'm not cutting any, any slack here on any side of this, this, uh, this, this issue that we're talking about. The sin of haughtiness and those that think they are much better than everyone else, he was saying to them, hey, you who are spiritually arrogant, don't judge others from that high pedestal you've placed yourself on. Otherwise, you're going to be judged in the same way that you're judging. That's what he was saying. Contextually, that's what he was saying. And the context is ultra important here. He wasn't saying never judge anything as right or wrong and never judge a person's actions as right or wrong. He was saying don't judge piously or from a place where you are hypocritically virtuous. The point is not that we shouldn't judge. It's the attitude of the heart when those judgments have to happen. You say, well, that's not what it says. Wait, we're gonna get there. If you are coming from a right place within your heart, a place in which you know how imperfect you yourself are. You know, a couple weeks ago, we, I had you face each other and say, do you realize how wonderful I am? Do you remember that? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, do you realize how imperfect I am? <laughs> Don't answer the question, okay? We don't need that kind of noise. It's funny because the person you said it to is like, yeah, I totally know. <laughs> most, most cases, I live with you. Yeah. 
if you're coming from that right place within your heart that where you know how imperfect you yourself are, then judgment, it just takes on a whole new thing. It won't be hateful. It's sourced in love for a brother or sister in Christ. It comes from a place that desires restoration and healing. Not a place of looking down upon and condemning. It's two different things. If you know your own imperfections and are self-aware enough to understand that your own efforts to be righteous, righteous in and of yourself, you, you know that that's like dirty rags to God, right? And that it's only through the righteousness of Christ that we can be called or made righteous. Then the inevitable judgments that you must make regarding right or wrong behaviors will be done properly and biblically, and they'll come from a different place in your heart. It's the idea that no one has the right to make a judgment about anything that is happening or about anyone else's behaviors or actions is just simply not biblical. That's not biblical. We do it daily. Jesus is merely saying to the pious, the religious leaders, and those who follow and listen to them, don't judge from that place of arrogance. He's not saying never judge because that would be impossible. Let me make this even easier to understand. For the sake of our conversation this morning, let's make a distinction between being judgmental and making judgments. Semantically, you could say that they are the same, but the difference is this. It's that they, they come from completely different attitudes of the heart. Being judgmental carries with it the idea of being overcritical or, or pious or looking down upon and, and, and you're your, your reason for, being ju- for judging then becomes punitive and you want to inflict some kind of punishment with your judgment, whether it be emotional or whatever. But making judgments, simply making judgments, doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be overly critical or pious. You can make sound biblical judgments even in regards to people and it can be done in love. This is a balancing act, folks. And I know the whole world says, don't judge. And that attitude has crept into the church. But how in the world am I supposed to keep Pastor Jared accountable and he's supposed to keep me accountable as brothers in Christ if we never make any judgment call whatsoever? Then then iron can't sharpen iron because for iron to sharpen iron, you have to make a judgment call to some extent. Not every situation, but in some situations you do. But beware, it is so easy, hear me, to fall into being judgmental in the midst of making those day-to-day judgment calls that we have to make. It is so easy for the church, for people who have accepted Jesus Christ, who are born again, it's so easy for them to fall into judgmentalism when they're just trying to make judgments. You gotta be careful. And I think there's more people in the world who have shut their minds and their hearts off to Jesus Christ and and his church because of judgmental Christians who meant well in their judgments. Gotta get this thing right. And like every other thing Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, this, this is the same thing. It's almost impossible. That's why we need him. George Orwell, the, the famous writer, and some of you may have had to read one of his books in high school, 1984. Well, he was a self-proclaimed atheist. And uh, although, he, uh, 
although was, he was very outspoken against totalitarianism, he was an avid supporter of Democrat socialism. And whether you like him or not, to this day, his writings are still influencing culture. He coined the terms big brother, thought police, and doublethink. And although I would personally uh, not agree with his Bernie bro politics or his total disbelief in God, I have to say that he made some very profound statements that are surprisingly relevant for today. This is a democratic socialist, all right, who died in 1950. He said this, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Think about that a little bit. The further society drifts from the truth, and we know what the truth is, the more society will hate those who speak it. I want to I just make this statement, and this is not a boo-hoo, poor, poor, kitty thing, but the further we get in, into the, the future history of, of, of what's going on in our world, the harder it is to preach from a public pulpit into a public internet and say things that are truthful without getting backlashed. If any of you are in politics, you know that that's true. But it's also true for pastors. And the, the, the pressure is to not say the hard thing because you would offend somebody. The pressure is don't offend anybody. Just keep your words nice and happy. <laughs> That's hard when you have a call of God in your heart to speak truth. Listen, I'm not saying I'm always right. I'm not saying I'm perfect in everything I say. Definitely not. But I do my best to speak the truth when it needs to be spoken. To say what God has spoken to me, and usually it's very convicting to me first, and then I have to kind of absorb all of that and, and, and hear it and, and repent if I need to, change if I need to, let him rub the rough edges off, and then, and then put it in a message and deliver it to you. That, that's basically it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The further we go down the road here, the further society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. It's so indicative of where we're at as a culture and as a nation right now. And it seems common sense has been eliminated. And it's exactly why when we try to walk in love and do our due diligence in making our day-to-day -day judgments of what is right and wrong, the world around us screams, you're not supposed to judge. Jesus said don't judge. You can't judge me. That's hate speech. And these same phrases that are spewed from those in the world that can't stand anything being brought up about morality or righteousness, they've crept into the body of Christ and we now have professing Christians saying the same thing. Let me remind you, church, the Bible has a lot to say about being rebuked. Rebuked, being rebuked, is, is there's a judgment involved with that. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, if your brother sins, and hear this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which were the worst kind of people. 
in, in their minds. These are the words of Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem very loving. That seems a little judgmental. Yeah. 1 Timothy 5.20 says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Man, maybe the church should get back to this. Telephone call. God's calling. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You know, there's something to be said about fearing God and walking in holiness. There just is. Not out of some follow the rules kind of thing that we pressure ourselves with, but because we're so much in love with Jesus and we fully understand the the covenant that he's given us, that, that we just love him so much that we just avoid those things. Man, church... Govern, our church discipline back in, in, in the biblical times, uh, in the book of Acts, it, is, um, it doesn't happen today because everybody would scream, you can't judge me. The point is, the word of God judges us. And when you know the word of God says this, and someone does this that's totally opposite, that's not... that's not us judging the person, that's the word of God judging the person. We're just adhering to the word of God. Proverbs 27, five says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wow. There's a lot in the Bible about rebuking. And we've actually arrived at a place in society where all judgments are considered judgmental and therefore they are hateful and wrong. When making sound judgments becomes an act of hate, I I want you to hear this. When making sound judgments becomes an act of hate, anything will be permissible because there will be no one speaking up for the truth. There's no way around it. Judging has to happen. We just have to avoid being judgmental in our judging. George Orwell also said this. Remember, this is a democratic socialist from the mid-1900s saying this. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. I don't agree with this guy's beliefs. I don't agree with with his religion or his politics, but that's truth. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. But what if it's seen as hate speech? What if it's seen as being judgmental? I'm not saying you have to ram it down people's throat. You got to do it in love, but we're supposed to be tellers of truth right? The gospel of love. In church, if telling the truth about something is wrong, I don't want to be right. And yet, Christ is taking this once again right to the issue of the heart because making judgments about the truth of what is right and wrong and who is right and wrong will quickly fall into the area of being judgmental. Our heart has to be right, but this is where it gets real tricky and difficult because there are those who have right hearts and make right judgments with their right hearts but end up getting shouted down for being judgmental even when they are not. So they either decide to hold the line in their judgments, they're making judgments, or they go to that place where they never judge anything or any actions of of anyone. They just keep to themselves and avoid conflict at all costs. Here's something else to throw into this conversation to make it more confusing. You wonder why, why this is such a confusing topic. You should have been in my head the last week. I mean, I was just like, oh. 
Here's something else to throw into it. As Christians, we should welcome sound judgment coming towards us. When a brother or sister in Christ calls us out and they are speaking real truth from a right heart, we should receive it and adjust our behaviors as necessary. We should want and desire judgment from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there's a revolutionary thing to say. We should desire that. I'm telling you what, if Larry Perry and a bunch of other you, there's all sorts of people, I don't want to just single him out, but people that I respect came to me and said, look, buddy, you're off. Don't judge me. Maybe I should receive it and listen. Isn't that why we're here for one another? Not only for that. I'm not talking about running around with magnifying glass and trying to see everybody's issues. I'm not talking about that. You're not a fault finder. And, but as things come up, as you're hanging around somebody, as you have a relationship with somebody, and you see something constantly happening, you're like, maybe I should say something. Oh, that'd be judgmental. Is it? If it's in love? We should want and desire judgment from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't need them to be judgmental, though. We need their good-hearted accountability. We don't need their pious look down on us, right? Do you see the difference? Say amen if you do. There's a difference. But one can fall into the other very quickly. Let's read in the next verse in chapter 7, and it underscores what I just talked about. Finally, verse 2. It says, do not judge and you will, you will not be judged. Verse 2, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So again, if you have a right heart, your judgments won't be judgmental. They will be loving and encouraging. And if you have a right heart, you will desire others to make loving and encouraging judgments in reference to you. That means together, two right-hearted people can push one another deeper and closer to God. And that's a good thing. Jesus goes on. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Again, he's talking to Pharisees here. But you got a log in your own. Why worry about your, your friend, the speck in your friend's eye? Verse 4. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? See, talking to judgmentalism here. And verse five, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will, be, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Again, Jesus is speaking to the religious, the pious, those who see themselves as better than others, spiritually speaking. And he clearly says, get the log out of your own eye. In other words, look in the mirror and judge yourself, right? We all get that. We see that. We know that that's what he's saying. But on the other hand, how many times have well-meaning, good-hearted people made a biblically sound judgment call in reference to someone else's behavior or actions and then had this verse thrown back into their face? Get the log out of your own eye. Don't judge me. I can do whatever I want. I want to comment on verse 5 just a second. Because it's monumental in reference to what we've just been talking about. It, it, it doesn't say, verse 5, throw it up there again, would you? It doesn't say, uh, forget about the speck in your friend's eye and just worry about yourself. It says, deal with what you have going on. Then you can see clearly enough to help your friend and the speck they have to deal with. Now I understand, someone can say, 
can come to us when we're right-hearted and they can say, hey, I have a speck in my eye and I need you to help me get it out. I need you to keep me accountable. I hope that's what happens. And maybe eight times out of 10, that happens. And it goes that way. So someone is asking for it. But when someone is walking, who's in the church, who's a believer in Christ, who's walking uh, as a Christian or supposed to be walking as a Christian and they consistently do something that's not Christian, like it, it's, it's an issue in their life, and it's causing them to go backwards. It could be a lot of different things. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe, maybe it's a quirk. I don't know. But it's causing them to go backwards in their faith or at least not grow. And they don't see it. Get the log out of your own eye and then address your brother or sister's issue. Hey, you know, I've noticed you, you, I love you, but there's something that's been bothering me when we're hanging out. I see you doing this all the time. And I, I, I'm not trying to come down on you and look down on you. I, I just need to tell you, because I think it's, it's keeping you from everything God wants you to be. Is that judgmental? It's making a judgment, but it's loving because you care about that person and you love them and you want to see them restored and you want to see them grow further and further and, and deeper into the things of God. Let's play the scenario. You try and point on an issue with a brother or sister in Christ. You're alone with them, and you bring up the issue in a way that's loving and caring, in a way that will bring restoration to the person. And actually, I got a great example of this. Corey Keller, can I pick on you? Come up here, Corey. Can you come up here? Yes, yeah, sure. Just come up here. That's fine. How many love Corey? Yeah, I love him. He's a good man. So Corey and I, years ago, he came to the church, and um, he was kind of a punk. He was coming every Sunday, but he was kind of a punk. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? That, is that judging? I guess it is. Um, hope that's not judgmental. Uh, but I, we were, you were helping, and I really appreciated your help. You were such, you're such a servant. That's what, that's what Corey does. He just serves and serves and serves, almost has to say, he has to learn to say no to people. Right? I've told you that a few times, right? because he, he, he serves to the point where he, he, he wears himself out. Um, but he was serving the church, he was serving all of you, and saving us literally thousands upon thousands of dollars in electrical costs as we were redoing the parking lot and redoing the service coming into the building. And we were in the trench together, a, a literal trench, and we were digging, right? We were digging, finding the wires, doing our thing, and I'm like, I'm alone with him. I know he's a good guy, I know he's good-hearted, I, I love the guy, he's a friend but I also know I can see this potential in him to be this amazing leader. Yet there's something blocking it a little bit. There's this addiction that he has. And he was very addicted to, uh, to uh, chewing. Anybody ever been addicted to something? Check your lip there. No, it's clean. And I just said, and this might be very judgmental in some of your eyes, but I, I think it was just making a judgment and doing it out of love. But I said to Corey, man, it smells like skull in here. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, no, it smells like Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about it. I said, dude, I, I mean, that's not going to keep you out of heaven necessarily. But if you ever want to be a leader, I think it's getting in the way. And you have all this leadership potential. And you have all this 
it's just blocking it because, you know, to me, the, the higher you go in leadership within the church or within in, 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 in the community even, the more scrutiny is put on you. And you can say that that's not true, but it's absolutely true. I live in a glass house, you know. I mean, I can't even have my yard not look good or someone will say something. Oh, pastor's got the messiest yard in the whole community. You have to do that. That's how you live. But that's the choice you make. That's, the, that's a little bit of sacrifice that you make for those positions of leadership. So, you know, we're not going to have a board member who's addicted to chew. Are you okay with that? Because I don't think we should be addicted to anything. Food, chew, alcohol, anything. I don't think we should be addicted to it. Gambling? How many would be mad if we had a board member who was a gambler? Nobody would be? Okay, we can have... You'd be okay with that? I mean, they have access to your money and, you know, the church's money. You don't care if they're a gambler. You really hate voting, don't you? <laughs> so I said this to Corey. Man, just, you ought to just get rid of that. Like, I know, I want to. It was funny, though, because God had already been speaking to him about it. I didn't necessarily know that. But because I had prayed like I do every day, God, help me have a divine appointment today. Help me speak to people with the right heart. If there's any wayward way in me, get rid of it. Pull the weeds out, God. You ever pray like that? I pray like that every single day. God, make me, mold me, shape me. I want to be you with skin on. I say it a lot of different ways. But I prayed that way that morning, and, and here we are. We're in the trench, and I'm like, yeah, you need to ditch that, uh, that, that tobacco thing. And and he didn't say, don't judge me. He didn't say, get out of my face. He, said, I, he didn't say, I like chewing. He didn't say, no. He just said, yeah, you're right. I need to. And he quit. How long has it been? Three years. Three years. Almost three, oh, three years. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You can sit down. You can sit down. After 24 years. What's that? After 24 years of chewing. So, again, not that, not that saying that I was coming from a place where I was like, Corey, if you don't get rid of this tobacco, we're going to kick you out of the church and you're going to go to hell. <laughs> it's not what I was doing. I love my brother and I want, I want to see all that God has for him come to fruition. That's the heart. That's the difference between being judgmental and making a judgment. I hope you understand that. Now I'm really going to bake your noodle. If I would have been judgmental and with a log in my own eye pointed out the speck in his, and if he had a right heart and took care of the speck, I would be held accountable for being judgmental and he would be free from the speck. Not because of what I pointed out, but because he had a right heart in receiving, even receiving from someone who had a very wrong motive of the heart but was still speaking truth. There's a responsibility that we all have to receive truth, to take it in, to understand it, to, to, to hear what people are saying, compare it with the word of God, to look in the mirror and be honest. Boy, that's hard for people to do today. But to be honest to further my point in reference to this verse being so misunderstood and people using it to declare that no judgment of anything or anyone's actions should ever be scrutinized. I'm going to read verse 6, the very next verse. We just read, here's God calling again. 
We just read hypocrites. Take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your friends. Then you can take the speck out of your friends, right? We just read that. The next verse is, and this is just blew me as in turn and attack you. That's Jesus' words. This is right in line with what he's saying. And I'm going, okay, how does that even fit? You're just telling us, get this log out of our eye. You're talking to the religious. You're talking to the hypocrites. You're talking to those people that, that are being judgmental and piously looking down on people, making their judgment calls. And then you end the phrase with, oh, and by the way, don't waste holy stuff on what's un- unholy on people who are unholy. Some versions say dogs, on the dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Jesus not only calls them dogs, he calls them pigs. Who is he calling dogs and pigs? The hypocrites? No, he was still talking to them. Who is he talking to there? He's saying, okay, when you do make judgments that are from a right place, after you take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brothers and sisters, Also, remember, don't take that good, holy truth, those nuggets of truth that I've graced you with, and then throw them to people who aren't going to listen and are going to fly it back up in your face. Does that make sense? Clearly, Jesus is saying, don't take the truth that you have and throw it to the pigs. Well, how do I know if they're pigs? You have to make a judgment call. I mean, am I right or wrong? Is that what it says? Well, how do you know if they're pigs? You have to pray and believe and and, and know that God's going to speak to you about, are they going to receive this at any moment? Are they going to receive this in the tent that it's, it's meant? And I'm telling you, I, I quote Pastor Calloway all the time, and, and I, I love the man dearly. Uh, uh, you know, I, I said at his funeral, I'm so glad that I work for him, and I'm so glad I don't work for him anymore, and everybody laughed because they knew exactly what I was talking about. I love the guy, but he said something, and, and it, the, more, the longer I pastor, the more it becomes true. The greatest gospel song ever written was The Gambler. You gotta know when to hold him, fold him, walk away, and run. And I think that's true. You gotta know when to share your truth and, and, and share the truth. You gotta know when to hold on to it for a little bit until they can receive it. That's part of just making a judgment call and just not flinging out your truth wherever you want to, resulting in you being judgmental and actually pushing people away from the church and not pulling them in. Hey, Corey, do you mind if I tell you something that you may not want to hear? Your addiction is holding you back, bro. Is there anything I can do for you as a friend to help you? Can I pray a certain way, or is there any way I can keep you accountable? It's not being judgmental. It's making a judgment. It's from a right heart, a heart that wants to see him or others, if, we're, if we have that kind of heart victorious over their addiction, a heart that wants restoration. If Corey would have reacted with, don't judge me, you hypocrite, you got things too, it would have been a great example of verse six. Pigs trample the truth and then attack you. He's no pig though. Church, this is messy stuff. 
But we are talking about the human condition here. We are sinners by nature. We are all sinners. Yet we have found the person of Jesus Christ, and he has rescued us. Thank God he has rescued us. We have asked him into our lives, and we've become new creations. We are born again. The old is gone. The new has come. These six verses are so clear. In your judgments, make sure your heart is right and that they are not coming from a place of spiritual arrogance or religiosity that believes you are better than everyone else. Likewise, when you are the one being confronted with the truth, receive it. Sometimes it's tricky. I, I get it. One can fall into the other very quickly. That's why we need to be so balanced. That's why we need to be so prayed up. That's why we need to be led of the Spirit all the time. It's tricky because whenever you're dealing with humanity, it's tricky. If what someone is saying to you is truth and it lines up with the word of God, receive it. And if they are wrong or if they are saying it, it's, it's, what they're saying is just not biblical or truthful, throw it out and move on. Don't, and then don't fall into the trap of becoming judgmental towards them for being judgmental towards you. The devil loves those Round and round and round and round and round and round until nobody even knows where it all started. He loves that stuff. I understand that every scenario is different. Every situation has to be looked at differently. I, I get that. You can't pigeonhole everything into one-size-fits-all solutions. Just keep your heart in check. Maybe the judgments you make, you must make in reference to what is right and wrong, uh, or, or make, make the judgments that you must make in reference to what is right and wrong, but, but don't... Become judgmental, judging with a pious attitude when it comes to people. Just don't go there. The church of Jesus needs to foster and nurture an atmosphere of love and acceptance while holding the line on truth, the truth of what's right and wrong. How do you do that? that this, this is where, where truth and grace collide. I know one of the classes has talked about this uh, a lot lately, but this is it. This is where truth and grace collide. And sorting it out is messy, near impossible. But let me just encourage you this morning, with our, all things are possible with God. And you can walk in balance. And you can know when to make those sound judgments. You can have a right heart to make them properly. You can hold uh, truth sometimes before you speak it so that it falls on good ground. So you don't end up pushing people away. But don't avoid conflict. It's balance. It's balance all the time, all the time. It's balance. And you know what? It's not like this. Scary. It's not like that. It's freedom. When you live in that place of balance, it is so freeing. Doesn't mean people are going to come at you sometimes. Doesn't mean that but you're free. You can walk in freedom. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just pray that words spoken today were not misunderstood. God, that no one walks away from here feeling as if Pastor Barry made a case to judge everybody. That's not what I did. but God, that they would understand that we do have to make judgment calls. Your word's full of verses that tell us this. But Lord, in our judging, let us not ever be that pious, religious, spiritually arrogant 
those people that look down on everybody else. Because ultimately, God, we're just beggars that found the bread. And we just want all the other beggars out there to find the bread too. We're not better than anybody. But you, you saved us. We had the opportunity because of your grace. And yes, we accepted. And yes, we submitted. And we came underneath your lordship. And Lord, we are born again. But, but God, it was all you. God, I pray you'd take that judgmental, pious attitude out of us. We would get rid of the logs in our own eyes. But Father, not to the point to where we never make judgments. Help us make those in love and with wisdom and with courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.